This is Mainspring Family Wellness, where transformation takes root. This podcast is for parents pursuing both personal growth and family wellness. We will cover relevant topics that help us reflect, make educated choices, and parent effectively. My name is Kristen Perlmutter. I'm an educator, a philanthropist, and a mother of three who is passionate about personal growth and seeing families at their optimal wellness. And I'm Dr. Jenna Flowers, a marriage and family therapist, author of The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, speaker, and mother of three. Welcome to Mainspring Family Wellness. We're so excited to have Annette Castillo with us today. She is a nurse and a busy mom of five. Yeah. And she is a uh, business owner and educator of Sensitive Solutions. And she offers uh, in-home sexual education courses for children and their families. And we're really happy to have you here. Thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> Great. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, how, how old are your kids and how long have you been a nurse? So I've been a nurse for 22 years. I got my first job here locally at a little hospital named Hogue. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I started uh, working there 22 years ago and then came over to work as a school nurse Um And I've been doing that for about 19 years. One of the exciting things I got to do was to get into into the classroom uh, to work with the kids and do some sex education. And I really found a passion for it, really loved it. Mm -hmm. I worked with high school kids for uh, about 10 years. And one of the things that I realized was a couple of things, but one of them was that um, the kids who were able to talk to their parents in the teenage years, made better decisions. Mm-hmm. They were guided um, by their parents and just had that open relationship, and they just made better decisions. The other piece is that when I went into the classroom to do the education, the parent piece was missing. Hmm. When you talk about being guided um, by their parents, what kind of guidance do you think these kids received to make better decisions? I think that they came to their parents with questions, maybe things that they had heard, things that they were unsure of, and their parents sat down with them and were open and gave them the right information and just were really open and transparent and honest, kind of built that trusting relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they would come to their parents to say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Um, You know, even in healthy dating relationships, you know, we're, this is what we're thinking about doing. Um, so those kids made better decisions overall. I think that they were supported. They felt support and felt guidance. That was one of the things that anecdotally I noticed when I was a high school nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, I still am a high school nurse now, but um, I work with a different population. But um, so about five years ago in August of 2014, I've been thinking about doing this type of business and providing this type of education for kids and their parents and including the parent piece. So I started Sensitive Solutions five five years ago in 2014. And I absolutely love it. It's my passion. It's, it's really fun to do. So working with kids and families. So can you tell us a little bit more about how those classes work? So right now I have a, a couple of ways that the classes work. One of them is I go into people's homes and a mom, it's kind of like a hostess situation. A mom will 
reach out to me and say, hey, I have a group of kids that I want to get together. Can you um, come to my home and do some classes? Depending on the age, we can do one class. Um, Usually sixth grade and older, we do about four classes. She gets her son, daughters, uh, friends together, and um, either a son, we do them separately, you know, boys and girls. And um, when, then we hold the classes and we have the parent present dur- during the classes. Mm-hmm. So, and usually on the evenings, in the evenings, on the weekends, um, or during the weekday after school hours. So, could you share with us a little more about your philosophy with mm-hmm. sex education? Yes. So, like I said before, with these teenage kids, being open and honest is uh, really key. Um, I think sometimes parents are really uncomfortable. I have a couple of friends that even when we had little kids, they'd say, well, we don't call it a penis. We call it a wee-wee or we call it, you know, give it a different name. And I was, because they were uncomfortable talking about Mm -hmm. those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And so we would laugh and I'd say, well, that's, you know, just call it what it is. Don't make it a weird thing. You know, mm-hmm. make sure that your kids are comfortable with calling it by the clinical names. And I think that builds trust. Then the kids later find out, oh, it's not called a wee-wee. It's called a penis. Why did you tell me it was called something different? Um, I think from the get-go, just calling things what they are and being open and honest with questions. I think parents sometimes are worried, oh, they're too young for this information. I'm not going to tell them. And honestly, if they're too young for it, it goes right over their heads. They don't even process it. They're really Mm. just trying to get, um, you know, developmentally where they're at information. So just if taking those what we call teachable moments Mm -hmm. and really grabbing hold of those and not being fearful of them and just being open and honest. But how old do you start that conversation then? Preferably at birth. You just start sex education begins right when they're born, just like I'd said, calling body parts body parts. And, um, you know, when kids, three-year-old, four-year-olds have those questions, where do babies come from? You know, being open and honest. But probably people who are listening to this podcast have maybe missed that (laughs) at that time. Um, So it's never too late. And just, you know, sitting down in a formal setting can work. But I think it's more of those teachable moments that you really grab onto. Like uh, I had a friend today telling me a story about her fifth grade son and they were watching TV and they were watching one of those National Geographic. And, you know, there were some leopards doing some things that she had to explain. And she said, you know, I could have just turned it off and, you know, avoided it. But instead, I took the opportunity to say, OK, this is, you know, this is what animals do. And this is what, you know, and she took that. She seized that moment to really sit down with her fifth grade uh, son and give him the information. So mm. so there's not really a time. Mm-hmm. But I do, I can answer that usually with my classes, I see that in sixth and seventh grade, those tend to be a very good time because they are still open and they still have a lot of questions um, and they're going to talk to their parents and ask those questions. And yet they're developmentally, they're kind of ready and also with this day and age, which I, we could talk about the whole digital age, they're getting exposed to a lot of information in other ways aside from our parents, from, you know, digital internet or um, TV or 
And so it's best to address those things in sixth grade, maybe before they're going on to junior high. Um, it's a it's a great time to have these classes or, you know, as a parent, sit down with your son or daughter and talk about these things. So along those lines, have, has your philosophy changed then with the digital age and the, you know, social media and the images that children oh, have access challenges. to <laughs> that we didn't have access to when we were growing up? It, yes, I think we're all as parents and our generation of parents are learning every day and there's good things. There's bad things. I do have a social media course um, where we talk about the positives of um, electronics. And then we also talk about what, what we're hearing basically in the news every day. I think, you know, mm-hmm. the suicide rates are going up and all of this negative press. So it is a challenge. I think we're, we haven't quite figured out how to manage it all yet and really what the negative effects um, overall but um, yeah, I think a lot of parents are feeling disempowered yes. through social media. That social media gets to their kids with these important conversations uh, before them. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and maybe because, it's not even the right information or the right timing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of kids that you know they get a phone, in my opinion, too early. Oh yes, absolutely. and then perhaps parental controls aren't mm-hmm. on enough or. You also read certain disclaimers where parental controls are on, but they can't always... They can't filter everything. They can't always filter Mm -hmm. everything, Mm -hmm. right? And now, all of a sudden, these images are penetrating our kids' minds, and they don't really understand what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And And how to comprehend it. Right. And just how the brain responds to, um, you know, just the chemical reaction that the brain does when they're seeing these images um, or playing these video games, you know, that that research is still being done and we're still trying to figure out the dopamine, the, addi- the excuse me, the addiction part of it. Um, that's a challenge. Um, but setting limits is key. And we talk about that. Um, you know, there's a lot of recent research than anything over two hours can, you know, increase the risk factors for suicide or depression. Um, So really putting, locking down those limits, um, Mm -hmm. taking breaks every half an hour so the brain chemistry doesn't change. You're kind of preventing that from happening because once they get into it more than 30 minutes, then the brain chemistry starts to change. So One of my concerns for teenagers right now at this day and age with social media and then sexual activity Mm -hmm. is the desensitization that Mm -hmm. I'm seeing about sex. Yes. Where sexting is occurring. And even eight years ago, that would have been something that was so shaming that they couldn't believe somebody had passed on a photo. I think some of that still happens, Mm -hmm. but I also have seen a desensitization around it. I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, yeah, we just send pics to each other. It's It's not a big deal anymore. Yeah. And so then it makes me wonder... What happens to the level of intimacy that's supposed to be associated with sex? Right. Because I don't know if teenagers in this day and age really understand the gravity of what what it is supposed to mean, and maybe even adults for that matter. Right. Can you speak into that at all? Well, just bringing it down to the basics with connection. Um, Obviously, these iPhones, which most of the kids have, three out of four teenagers have an iPhone. Um, they're getting away from that connection. You, you know, you ha- in order to feel empathy towards someone, you have to be face-to-face. You can't get that through a text or you can't get that through Snapchat or 
um, Instagram or any of those things. So that being missed definitely has an effect on our relationships, just, you know, our friend relationships, our love relationships. You know, the kids are not, if you look at the statistics, kids are not having sex anymore. Those statistics have gone down and a and everyone thinks, oh, yay, you know, the kids are holding off. They're not having sexual intercourse at such a young age. But the reality is, is that because they're not, they're disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and possibly they're getting exposed to images or videos that are not appropriate healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to get an idea of, okay, well, this is what a relationship is. Um, so it's part disconnection, and then it's part of reality. Their reality becomes this fictional, you know, the images or videos that they're getting exposed to as to what a healthy sexual relationship is, or frankly, an unhealthy sexual relationship. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So that that has changed. That has been added to my curriculum because it's so huge and. I think parents are just kind of begging, like, you know, I need help. I need to help manage this. When do I give my child a phone? And, again, there's no straight answer to that. And, you know, do I give them social media? Do I have access? Should I give them access to those things? Um, So it's a really challenging time right now with with that piece. So Mm -hmm. and and the other part of the you asked, um, Kristen, about the philosophy now that I have teenagers, my philosophy has changed. <laughs> I live, oh, I, you know, I'm a mother of five children, age 17 to 11. So I'm not only teaching this, I'm living this in right. my house every yes. day. <laughs> and um, so my son, who is 17, I thought, you know, I've always been open with him. From I'm a nurse and any question he's had, I've just been completely open. And, you know, much to my dismay, and I'm gonna, I'm in the process of writing a book about it right now, wow. is that my son shut down. I thought, how could, you know, oh, we'll always be open. We'll always be closed. You can ask me anything. And this, when he went through puberty, this puberty kind of forms these walls that they mm-hmm. feel like, you know, they know everything and they have their friends, their peers become more important. Um, and so it's, been a learning experience that, yes, even the nurse who, you know, spends her entire passionate life trying to teach people to talk, kids and um, parents to talk, it's happened even in my house. So from personal experience, it is just part of the developmental process. So I have kind of been humbled that, you know, yes, this is just part of it. And It is really great to be as open as you can with your kids all the way through, but it's an unnatural process that they are going to shut down and become these individuals and Mm -hmm. um, independent. And what do you do in that time frame? Do you just let them be? Do you just, you know, wait till they come out of it? (laughs) Wait till they're in their 20s? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, how do you you break through that wall? I think the biggest thing and one of the things that I have learned, because, again, being a teacher of health, I tend to want to lecture, you know, Mm -hmm. and I have statistics and I've read this and let me tell you about vaping and I'll give you all this education, which I think is great because the kids do need the education and they may pretend that they don't want it or that they don't need it, but they actually, you know, do. Um, But the lecture part of it, instead of sitting down and really listening I think that I have learned to pull away from the lecture, Mm -hmm. you know, and try to just listen and hear what 
his needs are or what, you know, he's going through and um, and what he's interested in, just kind of the basics of tell me what you're interested in, um, taking a step back and, and um, just kind of taking that in, letting him take the lead has been has been very helpful. And trying not to get too emotional about things because I think they shut down. I mean, we're, you know, as mothers, we're kind of emotional beings, and it's easy for us to get caught up. And sometimes they tell us things that we don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we can be as matter-of-fact as possible, then they tend to share a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, Do you think, though, there are certain things that we should allow to be private for our kids sexually? Uh, that's that's tough. I think that it's natural that they're not going to tell us anything, any everything um, anyway. Um, it is helpful, I think, sometimes to assign some another adult that they respect, that you respect, that they can talk to because maybe they don't want to tell you everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's an aunt or a good yeah. friend that they can confide in Um because I think it's natural they're not going to tell you everything. Mm-hmm. So, so. Well, I, and I struggle with the when they're not with you, when they're at a friend's house. Because like, you may have your rules or your boundaries and restrictions on devices. But, you know, some kids have more access than maybe you have in your own home. And so I feel like, you know, I think you just have to be real about that. That they're, they're possibly going to be seeing and hearing about things that... Um, are beyond our control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, um, Jenna, you might be able to relate with this because when kids get older, you no longer know the parents yeah. anymore. <laughs> and um, you don't know how they run their household. You know, when they're in yeah. elementary school, they're kind of protected and we know everyone and, you, oh, sure, go over. We know the rules are the same as ours or similar. But when they get into high school, all of a sudden they have this new friend, you know nothing about them mm-hmm. and, and you don't know their parents and they want to go to their house and um, so it gets a little challenging. Yeah, I think that's why the foundation you create in the early years is so central. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because then it's that value system that continues to navigate your child in the high school years. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even if they slip away from it, they're aware that they've slipped away from it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's that huge. helps them yes. to come back to base, base yeah. camp, you yeah. know. Um, let's talk about body image. I know you cover that in your um, class as well. I mean, um, I, I think of it for girls, but I know it's it's an issue for boys too. Like how, as parents, how can we, um, you know, create positive body image in our children? There's a few ways uh, to support our kids. This is a tough time. There's a lot of images that, especially. When we're talking about social media again, when they're on Instagram and they're seeing um, people flashing their bodies. And Mm -hmm. so I think a big part is education. I always come back to education, Um, you know, making sure that they understand that those messages that media are sending out are incorrect or not accurate, airbrushed, you know, you know, added this or taken out that. That's a big part of it. The other piece is role modeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't as sometimes I think we're really hard on ourselves as mothers and we yeah. say, oh, you know, I'm feeling this today or I need to go to the gym every day or I need to, you know, I'm not looking good in these jeans. So those messages, um, if we can get away from those and just be you know, accepting of your body 
And um, sometimes with the ath- there's a huge push in this community for elite uh, athleticism. Mm. And so that comes with kind of a perfectionist personality, which tends to lead to eating disorders and just showing that, you know, you don't have to be perfect and to be an elite athlete, you don't have to have zero body fat or, you know, just addressing those um, kind of societal pressures that that come up. Um, Yeah, I think we're also seeing research now showing that young men are more at risk now for something like anorexia, where 20 years ago, you didn't see those, those numbers up as much as as now. Yes. Have you noticed that as well? And as a high school, I think more on the athleticism side with the boys, um, I've noticed an increase. But even to the the girls are, I noticed the girls are becoming younger, so they're starting to comment on their body at age nine, ten, twelve. Mm-hmm. You know, really young. And I I believe uh, hospital admissions for eating disorders has increased one hundred and twelve percent for uh, like twelve year old females. So it's getting much younger for the girls. And then we're seeing more cases with with the boys. So how do we combat that? Yeah. Again, I think it just as parents, the things that we have control over are communication with our kids and education. So just constantly talking to our kids and role modeling. You know, we can we can show that we can have a healthy um, relationship with food, you know. And then I guess early intervention, if you see signs to seek help, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, switching gears a little bit, I mean, we have to talk about the uh, oh-so-controversial HPV vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) To do it or not to do it, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. In my classes, we do talk about it. We bring it up. I educate the kids and the parents when we talk about sexually transmitted infections and we do address the vaccine. I tend to leave, as I do a lot of my classes, uh, up to the family values. One of the first things I talk about in any class that I begin, whether it's one class or four classes, we always start with family values. Um, It's not really my place to tell a family to vaccinate or to not vaccinate, but I do think if it comes to my own children, I will definitely, uh, I already have a few of them vaccinated. I, from the research that I have seen, the CDC has been studying the HPV vaccine for 10 years. There's been no negative side effects. Um, the effectiveness of the, um, vaccine, it's decreased, uh, HPV down, I believe about 81%. So, and it does cover, the four strains that cause the most cancers, up to 90% of the cancers. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, for me personally, I would definitely vaccinate my kids. And, and um, uh, Annette, why would a parent not want to vaccinate for HPV? I think there's a lot of bad press that's been out there in Japan and different countries that people become fearful they're uh, the negative side effects that they've read about, which we've never proven here in the States. Um, so I think people are on the fence. I think people 
tend to be on the fence with vaccines in general. Mm -hmm. Um, I do get the question as to why would I want to vaccinate my 10, you know, they really recommend 10 to 12 to get the vaccine up to 14 years, although you can get it between ages 9 and 26. They say, why would I vaccinate my son or daughter at age 12? They're Mm -hmm. not sexually active. And, you know, that makes no sense to me. And it's really they have learned that if you give it to them before a child is sexually active, it's more effective. Um, So that's why it's recommended to get it during those years. But, you know, parents will always ask the question, well, why my, you know, 12-year-old? So Mm -hmm. I think it's a valid question. I thought that for myself with my daughter. Yeah. I've had a couple friends say that, too, that they thought that you didn't you know, gave the vaccine until your child became sexually active. But I was told, too, by my pediatrician that um, the to start it earlier is actually more effective. Yes. So um, and in the long run. Yeah, it's more effective. And then actually um, just for your own kids mm-hmm. sake from getting vaccinated, if you wait until after 15, you have to get one extra yes. shot. Right. So <laughs> yes. there's that, too. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I'm sure your son or daughter will be like, I only want two instead of three. Right. (laughs) Um, What other what other things are you seeing as a high school nurse? You know, what other issues should parents be aware of or be, you know, have on their radar as concern for developing teenagers? I think the biggest issue right now or what I have been seeing is the what we had kind of already talked we've already addressed it is the the digital part the social media um, the keeping limits on video games and um, you know especially for girls it's more they're they're more affected by the social media where boys it's more uh, gaming and um, having them limit their game time. Um, but uh, in terms of the high school, when they get into high school, it's just seeing those depressive symptoms, um, mm-hmm. you know, watching for those. I know that they like to be private. They lock themselves in their room and we should give them some privacy because they really do need that. Um, but then we can't monitor what's going on behind closed doors with their phones and what they're getting exposed to. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they really realize that they're feeling depressed when they're looking at social media or they're not invited to a party um, or they're comparing their lives to other people's lives, um, you know, when they're sitting in their room by themselves. So, you know, they see these pictures of these kids doing all these fabulous things and, you know, doing all these social events. Um, So and just trying to keep them connected at home. Um, is really helpful as well. So I think that that's the biggest challenge right now. I'm really seeing kids that are um, feeling disconnected, feeling left out, showing they're at risk for you know depression, um, suicide, or just having kind of a mm-hmm. lack of self-esteem. Mm-hmm. What do you advise to parents in order to get that conversation rolling with their kids if they see those signs? It's hard because I don't think they're conscious of it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, something that they may not be aware of. Um, but I think, const- you know, checking in with them, asking them, are, how are you How are you feeling? Are you feeling left out? Um, you know, what are, your, what are your friends up to? 
constant check-ins and just actually being forthright and saying, are you feeling depressed? Are you, you know, if you notice a change in their behavior, if they're showing signs. Now, not all the kids are, sh- one of the things that's unique right now with the suicide rate is some of these kids aren't even showing signs or people aren't aware. There's, right. as you know, Jenna, there's these, you know, signs of, of when people are at risk of suicide or depression and some of these kids aren't even showing those. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think just checking in with them, communicating with them, and just asking, are you are you sad or are you feeling sad or I've noticed you've changed or your grades are falling. Talk to me more about this. Um, and just kind of assessing their mental state, I think, mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one-on-one time still with our kids in high school is so important that you don't just surrender it all to the second family of their teen community. Yeah. And I used to say a lot in the parenting class with with uh, raising teens, like, you know, look out for the, the second family. Like, mm-hmm. they're going to want to just gravitate towards their their um, peers. peers mm-hmm. And that's natural. And it is. But they still need you right. as still, mom and dad. And they still, still need kids. to be parented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think we forget that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of segueing back even to the sex education piece, are there certain mistakes that parents can make when it comes to discussing sex with their teens or maybe even what is being modeled? Mm-hmm. Again, I think it comes back to that um, sitting down, being open and honest. Um, I think in, in lecturing, which we talked about, you know, if you're sitting your child down and you're saying, I remember my parents but didn't talk to me at all about this. I mean, that's what kind of led me into this field. It was a kind of a long road. I was a teenager where my parents didn't talk to me about anything. And I remember when I got my first boyfriend, my mom turned to me and said, I hope you aren't pl- playing adult games. Like, <laughs> I'm like, really? So sex is a game. That's a great message, mom. Thanks. <laughs> so, um, and then I had a... a a professor in college who I just adored, and she was really open and honest, and that kind of fueled me. It got me excited, um, and I just didn't realize it at the time that I discovered my passion there. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of us as parents didn't get that open. You know, some people were fortunate and had an open relationship with their parents talking about sex and puberty and body changes, but most of us didn't have that. And as much as and as painful and as, as fearful as it can be, I think you really need to to talk to your kids and then, you know, obviously role model a healthy relationship as best as you can. I know sometimes we're all sometimes marriage can be frustrating mm-hmm. and we're not always role modeling the best ways of communication because we're all trying as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but or if you're a single parent yeah. and you have, yes. you know. A dating life, yeah. How what you're modeling in your dating life to your teenagers or junior high kids or even elementary yeah. can really speak volumes. Yeah, so definitely. I think that's you have to be careful with that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So being aware of the messages that you're sending your your children, because we really ideally want all of our kids to grow up and have healthy sexual relationships with you know uh, their significant others, their you know whoever they're married to or. Whatever they choose, you want them to have a, 
a healthy relationship with their own body Mm -hmm. and you want them to be able to have a healthy sexual relationship that doesn't have any shame um, or anxiety. So, um, and I think you can get that from talking about it with your, with your kids. So that's great. Well, this has been very helpful, very good insight. Thank you so much. And, um, Sensitive Solutions, you have a website? Yes. Yeah, so I do. SensitiveSolutions.net is my website, but I'm really excited because uh, I've been doing this for five years now, and I've hired other teachers at times, and people that hasn't really worked out so great. People want me to come and teach the classes. And so I thought, well, what can I do to reach more? Because I'm only one person. So I have made my first online course. All right. Good for you. I'm really excited about it. Um, It's not, it's almost finished. I'm hoping in the next couple weeks it'll be done. Now I've just done the boy, um, I've just done a boy class so far. So the the male class, so the female class is coming. And I'm hopefully going to mix it all up so people can kind of pick and choose what they want. Um, But I will, I'm really excited to to start that process and people can do it together in their house. That's the other challenge is sometimes people can't make the dates of the class or they Mm -hmm. ask if there's a class available and, um, you know, a, a, a public class. And so hopefully this online course will be helpful for you know, people to have access, or maybe they just want to do it in the privacy of their own home. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm excited about that. Yeah. But I'm still teaching classes. Um, I'm doing them in home and I'm doing them at the schools as well. I have a few school contracts in the local area and hopefully this online course will take off and I'll make more and then, you know, I can reach a greater, greater good, hopefully, and teach as many kids as, and connect kids and parents together across the world, hopefully. That's great. Well, it's great to have you here, Annette. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you. Thank you.